Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello and welcome. I am so thrilled to have an extraordinary guest. Will Lowry is truly an amazing human being. As I researched him yesterday, uh, I actually was blown away, not only an attorney, not only doing incredible work in the animal rights sphere, but a novelist who writes all these books. Who knew? Will, um, welcome and tell us about what's happening with the Supreme Court of the United States and um, this absolutely groundbreaking Proposition 12 that literally will mean such a difference for animals here in California and around the world. Spell it out, because when people hear the word proposition, they get cross-eyed and they go, oh, that's too complicated. But this is really a huge, huge monumental victory for animals. Yeah, Jane, this is really a meaningful victory. And just first of all, before we get started, thank you as always for having me. And I'll I'll try to break it out. There's a lot of legalese here, but I'll try to be as clear as I possibly can. So in 2018, California voters voted to approve Proposition 12. And if I recall, the bill passed by about 63, 64% of the vote. So this wasn't just the minority of California citizens. It was the vast majority of California citizens voted to approve Proposition 12. And the law does a couple of things. The first thing that Proposition 12 does is it bans cruel confinement methods for mother pigs, calves used for veal, as well as egg laying hens. The second part of Proposition 12 is actually what's been very contentious in a court of law. And that part of Proposition 12 bans the sale of products, even if they come from outside of California, if they've been created using these cruel confinement methods. And to your point, Jane, we actually did have some very exciting news, not just on one case, but on two cases recently. Uh, Proposition 12 was challenged by a couple of meat associations, the North American Meat Institute and the National Pork Producers Council. The big decision was that on, I believe, June 28th, the Supreme Court of the United States declined to hear the Proposition 12 case. And what this means is that the North American Meat Institute tried to get the Supreme Court to overrule a previous lower court decision that said, no, we're not gonna suspend implementation of that law. So that is a fantastic victory for animal advocates. It does not mean just to be clear that that case is dead and over with, that case will still proceed at the lower court. But what it means is that the lower court's early decision that they're not going to suspend this law and it is due to go effect in January of 2022 will stand for now. So fantastic victory for animals. Um, Obviously it does not mean that animals will still not be confined. It just means those methods will be less cruel. So um, it's it's a positive victory and we're very excited about it. Yes. And what I also love was that Animal Outlook worked with a whole bunch of other groups. Everybody came together and uh, united uh, behind this one effort. Tell us when January rolls around, what is the difference going to be for the cows or the pigs or the chickens here in California, California is 
uh, the fifth largest economy in the world. If it were its own nation, it would be something like the fifth largest nation, which always blows my mind. It's also the largest dairy state. So people like to think of California as Hollywood, but it's a huge agricultural state. And you will learn that if you drive on the 101 North um, and see the farmland on either side. So tell us what it would mean, because there's a lot of legalese here, but at at the end of the day, this is about an individual animal, multiply that by millions, trapped in a very small space and hopefully getting more space. Tell us. Yeah, Jane, I, I first want to touch on the point you raised, which is that this was absolutely a coalition effort. So Animal Outlook was one of many groups. Humane side of the United States actually spearheaded this effort, but it's one of the joys that I have working in animal laws, getting to work with a bunch of brilliant attorneys from other groups. So this was absolutely a coalition effort. But directly to your question about what this will mean when this law goes into effect, it will mean a couple of things. So to the point you just made, you can drive all around California and you can see the farmland. You can see um, see the cows grazing. So dairy cows and, and animals like that are not necessarily impacted by this law, but pigs that might be kept in gestation crates or hens that might be kept in battery cages or calves that might be kept in veal crates, that will no longer be allowed once Proposition 12 is fully enacted. The more important part of Proposition 12 or, or a part that people often forget is that products that might be generated in another state. So for example, let's say Missouri is keeping hens in a battery cage. They will not be allowed to sell those products in California. I think what this symbolizes is that California voters they have a say and the courts have upheld their right to have a say that says, I don't want to purchase cruel products, whether they come from California or outside of the state. And they're also saying not just cruelty, but they don't want to they don't want to purchase products that may have a public health issue. I think we all know that animals in close confinement can cause public health issues. So the short answer to your question is farmers in California won't be able to use these confinement measures and consumers should not be able to purchase products that are, are produced in other states based on them. Now, I have worked on some of these propositions back, I believe, in 2008. I worked on Prop 2 a lot. In fact, I, I threw a big party uh, and uh, it would turn into this raucous party where one woman jumped up and said, I bid a date if you, you know, it, was, it really was a very fun party, I have to say. And uh, we, we raised an entire um, goodly sum for Prop 2. Uh, and yet... Prop 2 didn't really, let's say, completely do the job, as it were. Can you just tell us about the evolution of this? Because that seems like 100 years ago, I can barely remember the details of Prop 2, even though I stood out there gathering signatures for it. And why is it that we needed Prop 12 to follow Prop 2? And what is, are we actually going to get to the finish line this time? Of course, the finish line is that there are no cages for animals, but in terms of getting the space, uh, getting the space for animals. And sometimes when you try to measure the space, you're talking about this, okay? So when, when you have this image of, oh, space is gonna mean that they're gonna roam free, no. It, the space is still confinement. It's just more space, hopefully. Lay it out for us, because even I, who, who gathered petition signatures for both of these as an individual, I'm a little confused about it. Yeah, I think the last point that you made, Jane, is a key point. So I don't I don't think we need to be celebrating that suddenly animals are liberated. They'll all be free. They'll not be confined. You're absolutely right. We are shifting from 
a more cruel method of confinement to confinement. And so it is a victory without any doubt for the animals and that they won't be confined to battery cages, gestation crates. But at the end of the day, um, the animals are still confined. And I think groups like Animal Outlook are ultimately shooting for a world where animals are not confined. People are focused on vegan eating. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. To your specific question, this has been a law that's evolved over the years. And so there was Proposition 2 that started it. There was another bill in the interim. I think it was AB 1437. And now we're at Proposition 12. And the evolution essentially started with egg-laying hens and said that we are not going to confine these animals in the state of California. And it ultimately shifted in the next iteration to not only are we not going to confine these egg-laying hens, we are not going to allow the sale of products in the state of California that may have been produced elsewhere. And now we've sort of come full circle. So it's not just egg-laying hens, it's mother pigs and gestation crates, it's calves used in veal crates, and it is both a ban of confinement in the state of California as well as a sales ban for all of those types of animals. Now, uh, when I first saw a pig gestation crate, which keeps pigs in a crate the size of their own bodies, unable to turn around, and they go literally mad. Pigs, by the way, are smarter than dogs. And um, they chew to the point their teeth break the bars because it is torture. And then when I saw another photo of this by the tens of thousands in a giant warehouse, I thought, no, humans could never design something so horrifically cruel. This is clearly torture. This is clearly torture like how is this even possible that somebody would think of doing this, much less do it to one animal, much less do it to 10,000 animals? And the point we often make is that if you did any of these behaviors to your dog or cat, you would be arrested and charged with animal cruelty. But if you do it to a million animals, oh, that's agribusiness. And actually, that was a point Nicholas Kristof made in the New York Times recently. That's not even me making that point. So um, will we see these horrific pig gestation crates, which are specific. They belong in a medieval torture musician uh, mu museum. Do, do we see them being carried out of the state of California and being destroyed? How are we going to enforce this? Who's going to go through and look at these farms, which are warehouses, and uh, you can't see in them, unlike the fantasy and the fairy tale, that is promulgated by the industry. You cannot go in there. In fact, there are nationally and globally, the industry tries to pass ag-gag laws to prevent undercover investigations like the ones that Animal Outlook do that are so powerful. We'll get to that in a minute. But who is going to disassemble these? Who is going to make sure that these are not being used? It's a great question, Jane. And I, I think we'd all love to see sort of that symbolic image of people carrying out, you know, tattered, gestation crates and throwing them in a heaping pile. I don't know that we're going to see that. Um, the California Department of Food and Agriculture is actually in the process of drafting regulations that go into the details of how this law will be enforced, who will enforce it, uh, penalties and those types of things. Animal Outlook and our coalition partners are providing input on that. And so that the short answer to that is that's not yet settled. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, the government based on Proposition 12 should have a mechanism in place to make sure not only that, like you said, in California, farmers aren't using this, but that there is some verification that a product coming in from out of state is enforced or that that is not a result of these practices. So the short answer is TBD, those regulations are being drafted and 
you know, we would love to see people carrying the gestation crates out. And so that's why we're engaged in the regulations, but still to be determined. Now, uh, one of the problems with all anti-cruelty laws is the enforcement issue. Often when it's left to local law enforcement, and this is generically across the board with a host of issues, cockfighting and things like that, um, not to mention farm animal cruelty, there's just a refusal to enforce. Um, and they just say, no, we're, even though there's a law in the books, sorry. You know, uh, and there have been many, many examples of that. So how do we get around that? Um, okay. First, you know, I, I think that that as Albert Einstein said, uh, a problem can never be solved with the same level of consciousness that created the problem. So hopefully we are evolving to a new level of consciousness where we can approach this from a different perspective. Because if we're waiting for law enforcement in these small towns to go in there and say, you know, you got a pig gestation crate, you got to remove it. Forget about it, as they say. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jane. I think enforcement is a problem, not just to be, from my perspective, not just with local law enforcement, but even federal officials or state officials. Um, I spend a lot of my time banging my head into the wall trying to get people to enforce laws that are clearly on the books. And so there's a general perception, I think, from a lot of people interested in animal welfare and animal rights that if there's a law on the books, that means that animal's not taken care or is being taken care of. That's half the story. And so somebody still has to enforce this law. Your point is very well taken. Um, there is some difficulty. I think groups like ours, groups like our other coalition members are doing a number of things to keep eyes on issues like this. You know, one, just keeping these issues in the forefront of the public mind so that people know this is the law. If you're a consumer and you don't see this type of product or you see this type of product, you should be aware of it. Um, but groups like ours are doing other things, public record requests to see if things are being enforced, to get copies of inspection records and compliance reports. And then the other thing is it often forces us in animal law to become very creative. And so to your point, if local law enforcement is not enforcing a law, what can we do to get that law enforced? And we have actually a case in Pennsylvania with a dairy farm that we investigated that we found a creative way to try to get that law enforced that I'm happy to talk about. But the short version of your question is, yes, it is absolutely hard to get laws enforced. And I think it requires diligence from groups like us. It requires diligence from the consumer to know what they're purchasing. Um, and I think that's the best we can do. Now, um, in other cases, because I work with so many groups, uh, Jane Unchained um, goes to Sacramento often to uh, publicize and advocate things like the uh, cosmetics, the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act that passed here in California. Again, this is the fifth largest economy. And so you saw a lot of cosmetics companies change and stop testing on animals because they wanted to get into the California market and even begin to use the phrase cruelty-free as a marketing uh, campaign because of that law and all the interest it generated. Do you see the meat industry saying, oh, guess what? We could even use the fact that we're eliminating these crates as a marketing tool. Frankly, there's no nice way to kill an animal who doesn't want to die. But what I'm saying is, are you getting resistance? Obviously you are because you had to go to the Supreme Court. But I, I guess my ultimate question is, is the meat industry seeing the handwriting on the wall? The consumers don't want this. 
Prop 12 was got a 67% approval rate, which is unheard of. I mean, it's a overwhelmingly passed by the people of California. So um, to take this fight all the way to the Supreme Court, and now even though you've won in the Supreme Court, apparently the pork industry is launching, an, is, is in the midst of another legal battle. Where do you see the difference there between what happened with the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act and what's happening here? I think the impact from Proposition 12, if you read some of the meat industry articles, I think the industry is is just being very stubborn because their perception is this is a massive impact. Financially, um, you will have farms that will have to reconfigure. You will have you know, to reroute sales to another state to change things. But to your question, I, I think people in many instances, maybe not in this particular case, are getting the sense that laws are changing and maybe we should start going with the flow to treat animals better before a court forces us to do that. There are a number of companies that are making commitments for housing their animals. You know, there are other states that um, HSUS and other groups are driving legislation in other states that are passing similar laws. And it seems that the writing is on the law that the consumer, whether it's in California or Massachusetts or somewhere else, they value these types of things. And for whatever reason, the, the pork industry, especially in this case, has fought tooth and nail. And I think from our perspective, they fought it all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, I'm not going to hear this. And so at some point, we hope that they'll understand that, that this law is going to go into effect in 2022 and that they will follow suit with many other parts of the country and the average consumer that say, we shouldn't keep pigs in gestation crates. We shouldn't keep baby calves in veal crates. And so our hope is that this this is part of a momentum shift where the industry as a whole starts to see that animals should be treated much better. And I'll go even a step further. Animals shouldn't just be treated much better. They should not be exploited to begin with. And from our position, uh, we would love to see all animal exploitation stop, but we take one step at a time. Yes, as they say, it's a process, not an event. We've got a caller page. Your question or thought for Will Lowry, the general counsel for Animal Outlook, an amazing nonprofit that does extraordinary work uh, based out of Washington, D.C., but it is a national, even global uh, organization. Uh, your question, Paige. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my question. I am wondering, what do you think about a campaign of bringing about the awareness these animals are babies? You know, I remember when Beal was exposed as baby cows, people push their noses up about baby, you know, baby cows. So what about, I mean, these pigs are babies, aren't they? Thank you so much. No, thank you, Paige, very much for the call. I appreciate that. I think what you've touched on is a, is a key driver to our undercover investigations, which is probably our, our single largest aspect of our organization. A lot of people don't know. You'll hear abstract terms like a gestation crate or a farrowing crate or something of that nature. Um, and so in the case of calves for Proposition 12, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a baby calf. Um, in the case of pigs for Proposition 12, we're really talking about gestation crates, not farrowing crates where there may be piglets involved. I think your point is well taken, though, is people have a difficult time connecting sort of black and white text in a newspaper article or a ballot initiative to sign on a ballot to the actual animals that are suffering, whether that animal is a baby piglet or a baby calf or a mother pig. And just because it's a baby pig doesn't necessarily mean it's suffering more than a mother pig. You know, if you've watched any of our horrific undercover investigation video of mother pigs in gestation crates, I don't think it needs to be a baby. Animals suffer. They suffer just like we do. And I think your point is well taken that 
people need to make that connection. And that's part of our effort with investigations. Okay, we are going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. We always thank Voice America for letting us. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. And we are here with Will Lowry, General Counsel for Animal Outlook, talking about this momentous a proposition that was overwhelmingly passed by the voters of California, Prop 12, it goes into effect, we hope, 2022. We've got so many comments on Facebook where we're also simulcasting, uh, saying, yay, 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 but you're saying that there's a possible hurdle. Now, we have a caller, but before we get to the caller, okay, so there are these legal maneuvers by the meat industry. Um, can they stop the law from going into effect or can the law go into effect while these are being fought? Is this going to be some kind of delay game? Yeah, I mean, some of it, honestly, Jane, depends on what happens with the court cases. And so in the North American Meat Institute case, they attempted to stop the law before it goes into effect. That's what the Supreme Court just rejected. And so that case, it seems unlikely that they'll be able to stop it. Um, in the other case, that case was dismissed. And so I think the odds, I don't want to jinx anything, are unlikely that it will stop before it goes into effect. Um, and I would say anything's possible. There's still legal cases. I should mention there is a separate, a third legal case in an Iowa state court that has been recently filed. Anything could happen in that case. And so um, seems like the law will go into effect, but we've got five months to go and a lot of legal fighting to, to continue. And it's so interesting because in Iowa, which is obviously a very large pork and um, animal agriculture state, the people of Iowa are actually rising up against more concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs or factory farms, because the impact on Iowa's water pollution has become a big issue. So um, it, it's not like 
it's monolithic in Iowa. Everybody wants to continue this way. We just did a whole hour interview with uh, folks in in Iowa who are up in arms about these uh, factory farms and the impact they have on on the people of Iowa. Lindsay, your question or thought for Will Lowry, uh, the attorney for Animal Outlook. Well, at first I was going to make a comment that I think that the uh, the bill can have a dual effect. Uh, first of all, as you say, Jane, baby steps towards our ultimate goal of to end animal exploitation, but that also the reason that these animal agricultural companies are fighting it so hard is it's going to have a tremendous impact which on an industry that is already faltering. So I thought that was really great. But after hearing about this yet another um, court case coming up, uh, pro, you know, against it going into effect, I was wondering what we as the public can do uh, taking action to ensure that we put our, you know, pressure on to make sure it goes through, et cetera. Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, and so it, it's difficult because the law has passed. And to Jane's point, I mean, the customers overwhelmingly, or sorry, the California citizens overwhelmingly said, we want this law to pass. And at this point, I don't think it would hurt to let your elected representatives know that this bill still matters to me. I voted for it in 2018. It still matters. I care that it goes into effect. I care that the Department of Food and Agriculture passes regulations. Um, there may be an opportunity for public comment at some point on the food and agriculture regulations. Um, you can check on the agriculture website and see if at some point there might be an opportunity for public comment. But I think it's really letting your elected representatives know, keeping an eye out for an opportunity for public comments on the regulations, um, and then keeping your eyes on the shelves. You know, if it does go effective in 2022, uh, presumably there will be indications to say, this product, even though it was produced out of state, is the result of non-cruel confinement. So there may be an opportunity for consumers to keep an eye out for whether it's labeling or marking or certification or something along those lines. Um, but I think, honestly, first and foremost is let your elected representatives know you care. Keep this issue loud and clear. Don't let it fall below the radar and sort of keep the momentum up as we head into 2022 so that it's not just something that happens. And to Jane's earlier point, yeah, everybody thinks it's great, but there's no enforcement. So I think keeping an eye on it, keeping in touch with your elected representatives is probably the best at this point. Um, well, because this is a long form interview, we get to explore ideas. Often really great ideas come out of the conversations that we have here. And I'm just throwing this out there. What about a video campaign showing people the pig gestation crates? And, and most people haven't seen them. And uh, because, boy, the industry goes out of its way to try to prevent anybody from seeing that because they know that every decent person, when they see that, is going to be horrified and say, that is morally wrong. It is wrong. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So what about uh, a campaign showing uh, one of these crates with a pig in it and then empty and then being taken apart and saying, we're trying to dismantle this cruel system the industry is doing everything it can to try to stop it, make sure, call, boom, uh, or uh, some kind of petition drive to um, make sure that people are aware that this is not case closed and, oh, we don't have to worry about it. And, and additionally, it would show the horrors, uh, which often... One photograph does more than books and books. The worst, one of the worst things I've ever seen is the pig gestation crates. I, I just honestly, 
still to, to this, it boggles my mind that anybody would think this is okay, much less go to court to try to defend it. Yeah, I think, I think your point is well taken, Jane, is um, letting people know in some way, and I think a photograph, a video, or investigations video is, is the way that we agree with you that that's what's going to resonate with people, and that's what people are going to stick with and know that this is a pig in a gestation crate. I think part of the difficulty is that it, it's unknown now until the regulations are finalized what exactly it will look like from a consumer standpoint. How will the consumer know? How can they interact with it? How will the law be enforced? And so I think as some of those things become more clear, I think your idea has a lot of merit, which is, okay, now we know from a consumer facing view what things will look like for them to be able to determine if this product came from a Prop 12 compliant producer. And I think once some of that stuff is known, I think there absolutely is an opportunity for things to educate the customer, remind them what a, what a pig in a gestation crate looks like, and then empower them to say, if you see this, this is where it came from, and this is what you should do. And I think part of the trick now is we just don't know those steps, and I know we're getting closer to 2022, but I think as some of that stuff becomes more clear, your, your idea has a ton of merit, and I think there's a lot of value to that. And now Animal Outlook is very well known for your undercover investigations, and we've had the opportunity to interview some of your undercover investigators who are truly my heroes. I could never do what they do for even one hour, much less month after month or week after week where they go in and actually take a job and are, are loaded up with cameras and show the horrors. And uh, so many of your investigations have made news in the New York Times and other major publications. So um, in general terms, well, first of all, would you continue to do that after Prop 12 is instituted if, if you suspect that there's violations going on? Yeah, I, I won't speak to specific states or investigations, but I will tell you unequivocally that we absolutely continue, plan to continue doing undercover investigations. Like we believe firmly that undercover investigations are critical to moving this world to a vegan world. Um, as you've mentioned before, there are ag-gag laws and other things like that where the meat industry or the dairy industry attempts to obscure information. And undercover investigations are the tool that brings that information to the public. And so we will absolutely continue to use those. We will continue to use those strategically to expose violence against animals and to try to make change. And so, again, without getting into specific states, we are absolutely committed to investigations going forward. And I have to say that some of your videos are so horrific that uh, I can't even watch the entire thing from beginning to end. I'm going to admit that right now. So again, the investigators are my heroes because not only do they have to watch it, but they have to part they have to be there and and also remain undercover. I don't know how they do it. Honestly, it's I think it's the hardest job by far in the animal rights movement. And uh, they have exposed things that, of course, the industry denies and and often the low level workers who are actually pushed to do this work because it keeps the machine moving quickly are the ones who get fired while the um, upper level executives go oh, round up the usual suspects. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, even though there's cameras everywhere and anybody could have seen it because it would be hard to miss, for example, a cow being held in a hip clamp upside down by a, a front loader being pulled in the air because she is too sick to stand up. 
So um, in general terms, tell us a little bit about some of your newest undercover investigations. I know you have one on animaloutlook.org. And again, it is so disturbing. We do, Jane. We have a recent investigation that um, is definitely disturbing. I think this investigation is especially important and that it casts light on a little bit of a different area from our usual focus. And this is the area of pet food. And so so many people in this day and age have dogs and cats, companion animals at home, and um, they may be worried about their diet, worried about what they put in inside themselves, but not necessarily worried about where their animal's food comes from. And so this is an investigation at a slaughter facility on the East Coast that slaughters horses for exotic animal food, which is a really fascinating issue, especially in this day and age of show exotic and all that stuff that people care about. But in addition to slaughtering horses for exotic animal food, they're slaughtering cows for dog food. Um, and so we did an investigation in this facility. We documented some pretty graphic and disturbing footage um, of a cow being basically dragged out of a trailer on a chain. And this is a cow that is conscious, um, that is disabled on its side, dragged out of the trailer on a chain. It falls you know, approximately a foot, potentially more, slams into the concrete in blood and feces. Um, and this cow repeatedly is stunned or attempted to be stunned with a captive bolt. And a captive bolt is a, is a tool that's designed to render an animal insensible by driving a steel rod through that animal's skull. And so um, we captured some video of this happening at a pet food slaughter establishment. Um, it's on our website. It's been released recently. We are seeking enforcement because not only does that activity violate state law, it violates federal law. And people can check that out on our website. And again, I would just encourage people to look at it because it is a new and different area that a lot of people don't think about. And that's the world of where does pet food come from? And you see it, unfortunately, uh, very clear and violently in the video. And uh, it's so horrible because Americans consider themselves animal lovers and um, just pet food alone would be one of the largest in the United States. Pet food in the United States would be one of the largest meat eating countries in the world if it were its own nation. And so there is a lot of um, research uh, that um, is being done. For example, we profiled uh, a veterinarian who's in the process of doing a uh, compassionate research project that is going to be published, uh, peer reviewed and published soon that shows that uh, dogs can thrive on a, a plant-based diet. And that is the aim of his um, study uh, which is still underway. And uh, I'm not making any recommendations here. I'm just reporting on the study that is being done. And of course, there are a lot of plant-based dog food products like V-Dog and Wild Earth that are coming up. Wild Earth was even uh, featured on Shark Tank. And uh, Mark Cuban, who's gone vegetarian, invested in uh, Wild Earth, the vegan dog food. So there is a lot of movement in that space. And this is another part of that story. So, uh, yes, we have to be conscious of uh, what we feed our companion animals or who, in some cases, we feed our companion animals. So um, uh, Animal Outlook is now just firing on all cylinders. Uh, it's actually hard to keep up with everything you're doing. I try to research, but tell us, tell us a little bit more. What's, what are some of your other projects? Yeah, just one thing back to the pet food story that, that I should add, and people should also be aware of, you know, obviously be considerate of what you're feeding your animal, but the thing with pet food slaughterhouses is that 
they are not inspected by the USDA. And you can say all you want about USDA inspections for human food not being effective. And I absolutely will not disagree with you. But now think of a cow being slaughtered for pet food that has zero inspection whatsoever. And so I think people should keep that in the back of their head as well. And that these animals being, you know, slaughtered for pet food are being exposed to potentially even more cruelty. Um, Jane, directly to your question, there is a lot of stuff going on. And to be honest, sometimes it's difficult for me to keep up with it as well. We have a couple of other cases related to pigs in the slaughterhouse that we recently got a very favorable decision on. I can speak to that briefly. These are cases that were filed in a district court in the District of New York. Again, these are coalition group, coalition cases with a whole bunch of animal groups. One of them people have probably heard a lot about, which was our attempt to um, challenge the deregulation of pig slaughter. And so by deregulation, what I mean is that the USDA has passed some rules allowing pigs to be slaughtered at any speed. Previously, there was a cap of 1,106 pigs per hour. The USDA said, no, slaughterhouse, you can slaughter as fast as you want. And they also removed some inspectors from upstream handling of animals. And I think your viewers can all gather that that's going to increase inhumane handling for animals. I mean, to be clear, there is no humane handling in a slaughterhouse, but now these pigs are going to be beaten and kicked and prodded and dragged by hooks. As we saw in our 2015 investigation in Minnesota, we challenged that law. The USDA tried to get that case dismissed. We just recently won. We defeated their motion to dismiss. So now that case will proceed forward to trial. And then there's another case related to the slaughter of downed or non-ambulatory pigs in a slaughterhouse. Um, those pigs are very susceptible to cruelty given that they can't even walk the last few feet to their own death. We also won a motion in that case. And then lastly, I'll mention, happy to go into detail on any of these, we won a couple of motions in a lawsuit against Cook Aquaculture, which is an aquaculture hatchery in the state of Maine, um, who also tried to get our consumer fraud, or I'm sorry, our false advertising suit dismissed. We won that hearing as well, um, and that case will proceed to trial as well. And by the way, we invite any companies, representatives of any of these industries on any time. We would actually love to dialogue with you. You know, there's so much happening in the meat industry. They're kind of hedging their bets. JBS, one of the largest meat packers in the world, has its own line of vegan products that is 100% certified vegan. So you see that um, there, there is an awareness in the industry that um, our, our mass industrialized raising and slaughter of something like 80 billion farmed animals every year, not including fish, is not sustainable. Um, of course, we're in the midst of a climate crisis and methane from animal agriculture is a part, a huge part of that. So there's the climate piece as well, not to mention the health issue. Of course, um, we have heart disease, which is connected to the consumption of animal products. And um, I could go on and on. So um, the high speed slaughter, here's, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back uh, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. Uh, we want to talk about this high-speed slaughter issue because... Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are here with Will Lowry, General Counsel of Animal Outlook, and we're talking about so much. Uh, We only have a couple more minutes, but this is such a crucial issue, the issue of high-speed slaughter. Uh, It was uh, a new law. They did a test, a pilot program, horrific. I mean, just the idea that, oh, we want to slaughter these animals faster. The whole problem that we're facing right now with the climate catastrophe, wildfires, floods, drought, extreme heat, A huge part of that is animal agriculture, deforestation, habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, water pollution. And 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 so on what in what world is it a good idea to increase the speeds of how we're slaughtering these animals? And I'm just horrified. I'll just say it that we have that the Biden administration is not. Um, saying this is a bad idea that's that was proposed in the Trump administration. The USDA is actually fighting under this administration to keep the high speed slaughter going. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, the USDA is a defendant in multiple court cases, including ours. The USDA is the defendant in our um, pig slaughter speed lawsuit. And I just want to be clear, there's actually two issues at play. One is the rate at which the slaughter lines operate. There's another issue about what's called anti-boredom inspection. And so there were formerly USDA inspectors that inspected animals as they came into the slaughterhouse before they were slaughtered. And so the, the pig slaughter rule also removes those inspectors. And so, yes, the USDA is absolutely fighting this. You know, they filed a motion to dismiss in our case to try to throw the case out entirely. On June 28th, we got a decision from the court in New York that we won that motion to dismiss. And that's Fantastic news. I think credit to our partners. The Lewis and Clark Animal Law Clinic is litigating that case for us and our other coalition partners. But they are absolutely fighting tooth and nail, not just in our case, but as I mentioned, in two other lawsuits, a lawsuit related to food safety and worker safety. But the one important point I'll add before I wrap up is that the worker safety lawsuit actually had a huge victory recently. They actually won a court decision over the line speeds rule. And the court said that I believe it was within 90 days, um, the plants need to roll back to the old former line speed of 1,106 pigs per hour. That's still horrible to kill that number of pigs, to kill any pigs. But 
Um, there was a decision in that case, which is helpful. Um, what will happen, how that will shake out with the USDA remains to be seen, but there's still the inspection issue. So yes, absolutely. The USDA is fighting tooth and nail in multiple lawsuits. And um, I, of course, the head of the USDA um, is a former dairy trade group leader. So he is the meat industry. And uh, that is who was appointed by the Biden administration. So there you go. We're seeing a lot of comments. Susan Arnold, disappointed in the Biden administration. Tom Ventsell, how is DeJoy still Postmaster General? Well, that's another issue. And um, Susan Arnold, um, you know, basically people are are disappointed in in the lack of awareness um, in the Biden administration. Maybe they had hoped for more uh, more compassion on this subject. Yeah, I think, honestly, Jane, I think it speaks to the foothold that agriculture has in the fabric of this country. I mean, not just in the culture of people wanting to consume meat and dairy products, but in in the government itself. I mean, you can look at something like subsidies and just the, the sheer volume of millions and millions of dollars that we give to animal agriculture to prop that industry up. It's not going to suddenly change overnight. And I think there's no one person that's suddenly going to come into the presidency and and shift that. It's going to be easy. And so, the fight continues. Honestly, I think this is just all the more impetus for people to not suddenly believe that things will happen overnight, whether it's a lawsuit or a new president or a new representative. This is a fight that's going to take generations. And I think people need to be vigilant and sort of accept that. But that doesn't mean that we can't sort of stop and recognize some accomplishments, defeating motions to dismiss, having the Supreme Court decline to hear a case. Those are small victories. And I think we should take take um some some joy in that. But I think we need to recognize this is a very long fight. And ultimately, it's a consumer issue. If the consumers weren't buying bacon and pork and uh, ham and all of these other products, this wouldn't be an issue at all. That's and absolutely right. Yeah. There, there, sorry to interrupt you, Jane, but there, there are, you know, there's a term that's come out recently called humane washing. And I think you can go to our website and see a video where we've participated in um, related to that. But it is ultimately down to the consumer. It's down to consumer choice when they're in the aisle, whether they want to choose a Beyond Burger or a burger that may have come from a, a real cow. Um, and, and the meat industry, the dairy industry are spending millions and millions of dollars on advertising to deceive people, to get people to feel like, oh, this animal was treated humanely and that's not the case. And we have lawsuits against that, like our aquaculture lawsuit. But yes, you're absolutely correct. It ultimately boils down to a consumer choice issue. So in the couple of minutes that we have left, I do have to ask you how you possibly have time to write all those novels that I saw. I was like, what? I even said to myself, is this the same Will Lowry? How could he be fighting all these lawsuits and writing all these novels uh, that have an animal rights theme at the same time? I'm I'm speechless. Yeah, not the biggest fan of talking about my writing, but I'll, I'll answer your question. I mean, honestly, for me, the, the writing is something that um, the end result, my hope is it's the same as the legal work. My hope is that if I can put some words down on paper and somebody can read and hear a story of an animal and then think about that animal if they see a similar situation, whether it's a dog in a shelter or a cow in a slaughterhouse or something like that, and just plant a seed in people's minds so that they put that book down six months from now, a year from now, they sort of go out and they see a scenario and they act differently. They volunteer at their shelter. They make a different choice in the meat aisle or whatever the case might be. Um, so for me, it's just yet another way to give back. I mean, 
there is no end to the suffering of animals. And I think about it day in and day out. And so for me, it's really just another mechanism to try to poke away at that and change people's perceptions. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of my furtive uh, screenplay writing <laughs> excursions, which let's put it this way. I've thrown a few uh, scripts in the, the fireplace, um, <laughs> but uh, yours are successful. Uh, and I congratulate you on that. Uh, so getting back to where we're at now, um, I think that the people would really be horrified if more people knew about this high speed slaughter. And I mean, could there be a way to direct a campaign at the Biden administration directly to the White House switchboard um, or a change in combination with a change.org petition to say, hello, you know, you're supposed to be the new administration. Why are you defending this rule from the previous administration, which you obviously have um, denounced as morally bankrupt? Yeah, there, there have actually been a lot of efforts already in that vein. I mean, there have been a lot of sort of group efforts to uh, write letters to the Biden administration and urge them to sort of withdraw the laws or repeal the laws. Um, there have been letters. We talked about the USDA secretary earlier you know, urging the Biden administration to select certain USDA secretaries that might be more favorable to animals. And so all of that stuff is happening. A lot of groups, you know, beyond us are, are more heavily engaged in policy issues. But I, I can say pretty confidently that a lot of that stuff has happened. There have been communications, there have been letters, there have been attempts to work through Congress people to try to get things changed. We are where we are. I mean, the law is there. I can't speak to, you know, why the law won't be ultimately struck down or pulled by the Biden administration. Um, but we are fight. We are committed to fighting in the court of law. And it's it's our hope through that that vehicle, we can ultimately defeat it. And again, you know, I would say the workers groups led by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union had a recent victory, which is just tremendous. And that doesn't just help workers groups. Repealing line speed limits helps animals. It helps the environment. So I think the more people work together, you know, whether it's individuals or legal groups fighting this law for different reasons, um, I think the quicker we can ultimately get it abolished. Yes. And um, I, I have to say that Animal Outlook is doing so much work. It's uh, presumptuous of me to be throwing uh, pitch, pitching ideas at you because I know that all the legal work, the undercover work, and this is a team effort. So as we wrap up, tell us about the coalition. Like, and also the fact that Prop 12, hopefully going into effect in California in 2022, uh, there's still legal battles ongoing, but you just want a big victory at the Supreme Court. And so tell us about this coalition that, that helped make that happen. Let's give a shout out to some of the other uh, organizations involved. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Proposition 12 coalition, and I mentioned it earlier, but the Humane Society of the United States is really the group that's been spearheading that. And I, I've personally seen the dedication and the number of hours their attorneys have committed to this. And they're just tremendous people. I learn a ton from them. Uh, the other groups in that are Animal Legal Defense Fund, the Humane League, Animal Equality, Farm Sanctuary, and Compassion in World Farming. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things in the animal law world is that the groups, you know, we have such limited resources compared to these monolithic animal agriculture industries. And so we often pull together and we work together and um, put a lot of smart attorney brains together, including a lot of folks a lot smarter than me to try to fight these laws. And so it's a joy to work with them. Um, you get to work with great people. And in many cases, you can win just like in Proposition 12. I think you're pretty darn smart. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to correct you on that one. So um, 
Will Lowry, General Counsel for Animal Outlook, based in uh, Washington, D.C., formerly Compassion Over Killing. If you remember that, that goes way back. And of course, we love Erica Meyer, who is uh, the uh, uh, leader emeritus of that organization. Um, what do you see happening forward with Animal Outlook? I know that you guys have been very involved in um, a ginormous veg fest in Washington, D.C. Obviously, um, that is uh, on hold, uh, presumably, uh, just as I'm on the board of VegFest LA and we are trying to figure out what to do there. But what are some of your other projects? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is our investigations will continue, like I mentioned, and I won't get into specifics, but um, that is a thread that will be consistent, whether we're Compassion Over Killing or Animal Outlook or whether it's 2000. 21 or 2031. I think we are fully committed to that. We realize the value of it. Um, back to the conversation earlier about the consumer making that choice at the food aisle. That's what investigations are for. It's to bridge that gap from what might happen behind the walls of a slaughterhouse or a factory farm, get that information to consumers. So that, that will definitely happen. Um, you know, our legal work will happen as well. You know, I think we have eight or nine active cases. We are exploring a whole bunch of different legal opportunities. Um, you know, we are kind of um, restless as it comes to finding new legal opportunities to help animals. So that will continue. Um, we have, you know, you mentioned Erica. Erica's now gone. She was a huge service to this organization, got us to where we are. Um, we have new leadership in Cheryl Leahy, and Cheryl's been around here forever as well. And so she's taken over the reins. You can go to our website and see a blog and writings from Cheryl and watch YouTube videos. And so um, I think our investigations will continue. Our legal work will continue. Um, we've got some focus in the corporate campaigns area as well. Um, but, you know, I would say more of the same, but ramping it up, looking for new creative opportunities to get the word out, to sue some factory farms and slaughterhouses and to help animals along the way. And yes, of course, we've done interviews with Cheryl Leahy, uh, incredible leader of Animal Outlook. Um, quick question here. How can we get Prop 12 passed for all states of America? Somebody watching on Facebook wants to know. Well, isn't it the case, though, that when it passes in California, all states in America will kind of have to adhere because this is the fifth largest economy in the world, California, it's such a large state, so that it will have that impact almost de facto on the other states? Yeah, yeah, this is a great question. It's a great response. And so if the other state is selling products in California, yes, they will need to abide by California's regulations. Um, I think the good news is a lot of other states are passing laws similar to Proposition 12. And so um, I think Massachusetts passed the law, I believe, 2018, that they're looking to strengthen this session. Um, HSUS has made a lot of push with different states like Arizona, Nevada, Hawaii, and others. And so um, a lot of those states are sort of local state decisions. And so if there's not already a bill on the plate, if there are, if somebody watching your show is a resident of that state and they want their state to pass a law, they should look at what some of the other states have done, you know, reach out to some of the big animal organizations for help and then contact their legislator and see if their legislator would be willing to sponsor a bill. Um, but yes, to your question, you know, by default, if another state is looking to sell in California, they will have to abide. But that that doesn't stop a state from saying, I don't want to deal with California and still doing what they want to do, which means that we'd be better off if each state had their own individual law. Wow. Well, we are out of time. Will, I know you're a very busy man. Thank you for taking an hour out of your day to bring us up to date on the extraordinary work of Animal Outlook. Wow. Your undercover investigations pack a huge punch, get in global coverage and uh, go to animaloutlook.org and see the very latest 
support this organization because they do such extraordinary work. And please come back and update us on this cliffhanger, Prop 12. And uh, let's just hope, fingers crossed, that when the new year begins, it will also be uh, a new time for animals and that their suffering can be mitigated. Again, it is not a cure-all, but it is a mitigation. Thank you again. And we will talk soon. Will Lowry. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.